Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for the show. Joining me this week are the same two guys that join me every single week on this podcast. Up first, a man who will not have to organically mention Western Michigan because that's going to be our first topic of the podcast. It's Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. Graham, how are you this afternoon? I am live on a beach in Kalamazoo. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. There are no beaches in yeah. Yes, a city well known for its uh, for its lake views. Hey, you know what it does have though? It is 42 minutes door to door to South Haven, which is in its coverage area. So, it, it, it the Kalamazoo area does have uh, Lake Michigan in it, <laughs> and that is a place a former now former Michigan State basketball assistant will get to explore in all of its beautiful glory. And of course, the other man on the podcast this week is Detroit Free Press, Michigan State beat writer, Chris Solari. Chris, how are you? Uh, I'm on a sandy color couch in my <laughs> basement. That's as close as I can get to a beach. <laughs> but I will um, be. But by the time most people hear this, I may be in Boston. So Yes, you will be you will be covering the frozen four as opposed to laying on the sandy beaches of Williamston. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, since I already teased it. Let's just uh, get into it. Uh, it was announced on Monday afternoon that longtime Michigan State men's basketball assistant coach Dwayne Stevens would be taking the head coaching job at Western Michigan University. Um, he, you know, Stevens is a guy who has been with us for, for over, over 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. Sorry, I don't have the exact number off the... 19. 19. All right. I overshot it a little bit. <laughs> well, he also played at Michigan State yep. and, you know, Izzo helped recruit him from in high school uh, when he was an assistant for Judd Heathcote. And, you know, so kind of some full circle coming around there. And it, it, it seems like it's been a long time coming because he's dabbled in, in a number of different interview processes and, and had chances to take other jobs. Uh, but, you know, now obviously seems like it is a, a different time. And, it, you know, I, I think to me, that maybe solidifies the fact that Tom Izzo will be here for at least, a, you know, three, four or five more years, because, you know, that, that, that was a lot of long time considered that Stevens would be the heir apparent. Um, but at, at the same point, that doesn't, it, it, if you're the heir apparent, why would you leave? If you think the head coach that you work under is going to leave anytime soon. So it seems to me like this could add some longevity to, to Izzo's career, which we kind of knew anyways that, you know, four or five years might be the, the time frame still uh, for him to, to maybe hang him up. But, you know, who knows, maybe he, maybe he's going to be like a Joe Paterno type who, who just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And think about all the, the coaches that were the next in line after Joe Paterno 
that never really got there because Joe Paterno never lost the love of coaching the game, and I kind of see that in his own some ways. Yeah, I, I agree with, with that in the sense that if you're, you know, and I don't think that Dwayne Stevens was a, a sure uh, fire um, next in line either, and I think he knew that. I think Izzo even knew that because I'm not sure, you know, it's hard to picture the program in five years, right? And it may be exactly what it is now. It may be obvious. It may be clear. But, you know, what if there are, you know, it, it's a, an attractive job. And I, and I don't know how much control Izzo will have over that next hire entirely. If there are people who are, you know, people talk about the, the Drew Valentines of the world. And guys like that have a lot still to prove. Like, he, he won. He got to the NCAA tournament this past year with with a veteran team. He's now got to recruit and build a program and show he can do that as he, as he should before you want to hire him at a place like MSU. And, and, and Stevens now will have to do that at a place that's, that's harder to win than Loyola. And so that's what is interesting about it is, and it, it speaks to the type of opportunities he's gotten uh, because this is not a, um, a place that is a uh, always easy to win. It's, it's a program that in the mid-major ranks has been both a have and have not in the last two decades based on the investment at the university. Now they have some a new AD. They have uh, a lot more money now that they had that massive donation a year ago. Um, but it is, you know, the MAC is one of those places where coaches will tell you sometimes the best thing you can do here is win a lot of games. Like you're not going to – you're probably not going to do a lot more than that. You're not going to – and so – um, what would a tenure at Western Michigan look like that made him a viable candidate at Michigan State? I don't know. And I don't know that that's necessarily what Dwayne Stevens is on Dwayne Stevens' mind. What's really interesting to me about both him and, say, Cornell Mann, who's his cousin and Malik Carr's dad who took the Grand Valley job the same week, is these are two men that for you know a decade have been thinking about when they'll get to run their own programs. And you get to a certain point where that's something you want to do. Like that just, you know, it, it, Division II, Grand Valley, a great Division II program for Cornell is like a, um, you know, is that what the dream was for a long time? No, but he, he you know, he, it, it's time. And I think for Dwayne Stevens at 49 years old, the situation's better than it was two years ago at Western Michigan when I was surprised he even looked at it. It's time, and, and it's time to see what you can do and, and create your own, uh, your own path a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, the interesting thing to me is the the conversation of what would it look like if in say three years Drew Valentine continued to have success and was building something at Loyola. Tom Izzo decided it was time to step down and Dwayne Stevens had no head coaching experience, but Drew Valentine also wanted the Michigan state job because, you know, for, for all, that we, we talk about Izzo controlling who succeeds him. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit different of a time and, and structure within the athletic department than it was when Judd Heathcote essentially made a power play to, to get Izzo to be the, his successor. You know, I do think that there is some change in that, um, you know, in, in part because of the, the leadership that's there with Alan Haller. Um, you know, he's, he's undertaken a lot of different coaches. And I'm not saying that Dwayne Stevens wouldn't have been that guy uh, if Tom Izzo gave the blessing and said that. Uh, I'm just saying that there's probably a little bit more voices than maybe it would have been two years ago or three years ago 
because Taller has not just worked in the athletic department, but he's undertaken a number of successful coaching searches that have gone outside the current staff in football. Um, remember when he, he was part of the search committee that hired Mark D'Antonio? He was part of the search committee that hired Mel Tucker, um, which I think is important to keep in mind when you when you think about how the next process would go. That doesn't mean that Dwayne Stevens wouldn't have been that guy, but I, I think, and, and you know, what's your thought on that, Graham, is if, if it was that situation and Stevens hadn't run a program yet, um, you know, kind of like a John Shire or, or even, uh, uh, you know, North Carolina's coach, Hubert Davis, you know, if, if he hadn't run a program and he had to go head to head with Drew Valentine having success running a program at a young age, I don't know if an athletic director could, that would be a difficult conversation and decision for an athletic director as well as his own. Yeah. I I mean, I do wonder with like, you know, Alan Haller is a guy who is, you know, has a lot of um, ownership of Michigan state and that, that, that place and, and trying to, I mean, I, I I don't, I, I just don't sense that, I mean, he's going to have his own thoughts on this. In other words, I don't sense that it's, you know, he may interview somebody who's a home run outside of Drew Valentine or Dwayne Stevens. I, I just don't think, you know, that that knowing what's next, you know, could be clear for for anybody at this point, or, or what would make sense, what will make sense five years from now. And so, if you're Dwayne Stevens, Izzo could coach till he's 74, and you could be 56 before you get a shot at your head job and then maybe you don't get it, you know, and then you've sort of passed up right. uh, other opportunities. So I, I, I do, um, I, you know, I, I do wonder, you know, what I, I think for, I think also that Dwayne Stevens wanted, you know, I mean, a chance to, I mean, you know, he was making moves two years ago about this Western Michigan job when it wasn't a good job. Like there, there was no way they could afford him two years ago. They, they spent half of what they're going to spend on him now on, on Clayton Bates. The program was in dire straits in terms of uh, cutting, and you know the, and yet he had some some interest a little bit, and that that tells you that you know he's been thinking for a while that he, he wanted to do this, and I think that you know that had that it was it was just time in his mind to, to, to give it a to give it a go. Well, and I think you, you talked to Tom Izzo about this. I think that's going to be an interesting time for him as well because, you know, only Tom Izzo right now, I think, knows how long he plans to be in the job. I and mean, he might not even know himself, um, you know, that. But but this is kind of a critical hire because now you've lost, in the last two years, two coaches who have been with you for 10 years and nearly 20 years. I mean, that's a lot of institutional knowledge and a lot of uh, rapport that's built over that time. And, you know, what's the saying of old dogs learning new tricks, you know, that they don't, they don't do them very well. They don't, they don't learn them. You know, this, I think it sounds like he has an, an understanding that things have changed. The landscape has changed and he needs someone who's going to be able to embrace it in that Mel Tucker vein um, with the portal, with, immediate transfer eligibility, which I think from a basketball standpoint to me becomes more than football critical. Um, you know, it, it seems like Izzo kind of knows that 
you know, it's not necessarily, you know, kind of a Mark Montgomery, Doug Wojcik type hire that like he made within the last year. He, he feels like, and that's maybe that's just me reading into things a little bit, but it seems like he might, might be looking to go younger and, and get someone who can embrace those philosophies. Yeah. You know, it was interesting to hear them say that. And, and, you know, I mean, he's, I, you know, I think he, he fully intends and he said, you know, yesterday that, you know, to get to another final four. I mean, that's very much, I, I don't think he plans to go anywhere before that. And, and, but he, you know, he, he, he was very um, sort of blunt about, I was surprised to hear him just say, this is an important hire for me like that. You didn't hear that a year ago. Like that, that's, a, that's an interesting, I mean, I think he understands things are changing a little bit and that, um, you know, they're going to have to deal with this new world a little bit. You're either, you're either in it or you're just getting out. Right. And um, I, he was trying to paint a picture of, you know, I don't think you're going to get some whippersnapper who's 27 years old, but I think you'll, you, you might see somebody in their, you know, their mid thirties or so that is, is, has been a couple places in big programs sort of uh, has a feel of, of um, what is, you know, this, this world that, that college athletics is in, or at least Izzo thinks he does and is in that real hunger period of, of, of their career where, um, you know, cause it's a tremendous opportunity for somebody, frankly, to come in and be a, 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 a driving force behind, uh, you know, certain things in that, in that, in that program. Um, so I'm, I'm curious where he goes. I don't think he knows. Um, th- that's, that, that was also clear. I think, you know, he, he really wants to, um, not necessarily has to be outside the family, but, but look around and get some, some input from coaches and interview some people, talk to some people. And, um, and that, you know, you're right. A year ago, it was it was Mark Montgomery pretty quick, right? It's been Doug Wo- and Doug Wojcik uh, was elevated. Montgomery was brought in, and they moved Garland, and it was sort of that was clear. And 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 I think Dwayne Stevens really wanted Montgomery too, and that was that was part of that reason. And and so I'm I'm curious to see which way he goes. I think Michigan State fans are are happy to hear that he's you know looking at, at somebody who's can help them recruit in the portal can be can have some vigor is the word he said, you know, and, and, and I don't think that's necessarily an indictment on his, his, his current staff, but it is, it can be helpful to have fresh blood, fresh perspective. Um, and you know, uh, also younger perspective in some, in some ways, and, and somebody who's at a, a point in their career where they are both a little polished, but extremely hungry. In other words, where Tom Izzo was in 1993. Correct. In some ways. And you know, and he, you know, the I mean, guy, the guy that's interesting that I thought would have been a fit, and probably not anymore, is is a guy like Cornell Mann. Now, Cornell Mann's a little bit older than maybe the guys he's talking about. I don't know exactly uh, seasoning. But you want a guy who can recruit and dominate the transfer portal. I mean, he, he was doing the transfer portal thing before it was the transfer portal, right? And um, and he's Dwayne Stevens' cousin. He's been around MSU. Like I, I thought, you know, there, there's a guy who would. Uh, energize MSU's um, or would make MSU a factor in recruiting certain players in ways that they aren't now in that, in that portal and, and other things. Um, you know, there, there are guys though, who have done this for a while. One of the, one of the things I would look at, you know, you look at a guy like Saudi Washington and he used to, when he was at Oakland, they would recruit kids that 
they knew they weren't going to get because they thought they they'd get them in the when they transferred. You know, they'd stay recruiting the back end. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you know, you 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 want to look around for those guys who guys who really have experience in that. And there are probably other guys out there who who came up doing that a little bit, um, who would be in a place where that's uh, that's something they've they've done, and and, and you, you build relationships a little uh, a little differently, um, you know. And, and people always want names, and I don't know who, you know, they'll go. You know, I mean, there there are lots of people who they're not. I I would be stunned if it's a Dane Fife, though. I mean, it's not going to be Tom Crean. It's not, you know, these things are not um, not not going to happen. If you look at his, you know, he's got some people who have been assistants for him or video coordinators for him or, um, grad assistants for him. You know, the, the guy I talked to once, uh, once in a while, a guy named Rick Carter, I covered it. You know, there's a guy who's a graduate manager who's been at Xavier and DePaul and Missouri and, and is in that, I think he's late thirties, uh, who nearly got the job when Fife got it and very a hungry guy who's, probably is a pretty good recruiter, but you know, I, I have no idea what Izzo is thinking and I don't know that. And I, and I think this is probably good for the program in certain ways. I, I don't know that there needs to be a hurry on it. It's a, it's a, it's a marquee job and do your due diligence. And if you get introduced to somebody you don't know now by another coach that you trust or you, somebody who, who, who gets you, gets to your ear, that's, that's a, that's a good young coach. Listen to them, let the interview do the work. And, and maybe you, Go completely outside of things. That's a huge, huge thing that I wanted to bring up too, and I'm glad you did. Is there needs to be that trust? Izzo's not going to throw a torch and gasoline on how he built his program and the things that he prides his program in, in terms of doing things by the book, is and not getting into trouble with violations and all those things. But he also understands that. The landscape has changed. The rules have changed at this point. So I, I, I think that's going to be kind of a critical component. I, mean, I think in any interview process that whoever he brings in as a candidate, uh, to me, I think there needs to be some level of trust, whether it be established. I, I mean, I, I think there's probably a small handful of, of coaches whose opinions he would trust, um, you know, just – based upon how they operate their programs. And you hear him talk about guys who he respects as coaches and guys who he respects as leaders of a program. I think there's a difference that that's there. And I think it's, it's those leaders of the programs that do it the right way that, that do things above board as, as, as you say, um, that if he, those are the people he will trust if he gets someone that he doesn't already have a pre-established relationship with. Yeah. And, you know, keep in mind too, like, you know, you, you have to always like the competition changes all the time, right? Like, you know, Thad Mata winds up at, at, at Butler, for example, Thad Mata is going to win at Butler. Like they're going to get players at Butler. It's a, it's a decent place. It's, it's in the big East now. And Thad Mata recruits wherever he goes. And by the way, I look for, I, from what I understand, I, I think you're going to wind up seeing Dane Fife, Join that staff with that Mata at, at Butler, um, but makes like sense. so if, if you if you um, and he could probably from there if depending on things go get the the Indiana job if that's really the the goal eventually depending on what happens with Woodson over time but um, but so the, you know that's another program that to me 
in the heart of a little bit of, 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 of your territory is, is, is going to become relevant and a little different in recruiting really quickly. You've got to keep with the times. Michigan State football got very fortunate in, in hindsight, the, 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 the Mel Tucker timing that we all thought it was really awkward. No matter how it happened, that particular year wound up being perfect in a lot of ways that as everything was changing in college sports, they got a guy who was really in tune with it and really skilled at it replacing a guy who'd been really good when things were done a little different way, right? And the timing, in some ways, could not have been better, maybe not exactly in February of that year, but you know what I mean, overall. Well, Michigan State basketball, Izzo has been through a number of different iterations of college basketball, and I mean, he came up, and he was a head coach when Bobby Knight and Gene Cady and, and these guys were still ruling the Big Ten, right? And he's, he's been around, Dean Smith was still at Carolina. And now he's in this very different era, and he's had, and, he, and he's won at all of them. So I'm, I'm not, but you do have to keep, um, you have to keep hungry. You have to keep altering the voices you have on the staff and what you need to recruit, not who you are, because I don't think that's going to change. But having a little more to offer, having something that, you know, keep listening for people to adapt. I mean, I think Izzo's adapt. I don't, I don't think he's as hard on players as he used to be. I think he's uh, his his former players will tell you that. Let's move from the coaching staff to the player roster. Last week, Max Christie announced that he was going to put his name into the NBA draft. Now, he you know, definitely came out and right away said it was more of an explore, not more of, but is an exploratory thing where just kind of wants to see where the NBA scouts and teams feel about where he is, see if he's ready for the NBA. He's a guy who started every single game for the Spartans last year, and you know he's a five-star guy coming out of high school. So perhaps not surprising that he's at least floating his name out there to see, see what the uh, league thinks of him. Graham, what was your reaction to Christie announcing for the draft, declaring for the draft? I, I want to I chime in here and say Graham's had some, some intel on this for probably about a month, maybe a little bit more than that. So a lot of this stuff isn't really new. Yeah, the the well, you know, I didn't necessarily believe the intel, which is weird for me. Right, right. <laughs> that's the that's where I was a little wrong, and so I had a couple people ask me, you know, because what's weird about the Max Christie thing is, you know, I had gotten a call uh, about a month ago about the, the idea that they thought Max Christie would go pro, that he was probably going to leave, and event, you know, perhaps he, at the end of the day, he'd wind up coming back, but he was definitely going to test and intended to kind of go pro. And this is not when he was, this is before the postseason when he was not playing all that great and things weren't going all that great for him. And, and yet I, I, um, I didn't really believe it because it just, you were watching the games and you could see what the the areas of need were. It just makes sense for him to come back. Like there are some guys who you go, well, they are what they are at the college level. Yeah. They're not the highest draft pick, but I don't know if they'll ever be the highest draft pick. You know, Drew Kimmy at Gonzaga is one of those guys, right? Like, he, he, he can go this year, he can go next year. He's probably going to be the same second-round pick whenever he goes. There are some guys who elevate their games, like Xavier Tillman. There's nothing left for him to do at the college level. I think he's going to, you know, be a decade-long pro, but the NBA was going to see him a certain way when he came out regardless. And, and, and yet and then there are guys like Max Christie who everything the college game offers, everything it presents is what he still needs like a chance to get stronger and to play against your peers, to grow into dominating the level you're at. And, and I understand I have 
friends who disagree with me on this and think, well, you can do that in the G League. Well, that, but that's where he's going to be next year. And I don't know that the G League's a fit for that. Some people say it's it's not. Uh, some people would argue it is and whatever. But point is, he's not going to be in the NBA next year. He may get drafted by the NBA. But I don't really understand. From, from my standpoint, he needs college basketball. Now, whether that is at Michigan State or he wants to decides at the end of this whole process he wants to go somewhere else, uh, I still think he winds up back at Michigan State, even if, you know, my understanding is it's 50-50 and, if, you know, who knows if it's even that. But yeah. I, it just, it, to me, I have to think that he sees it. He seems like an intelligent enough kid. I mean, the guy is like 185 pounds. He needs 10 pounds of muscle. He, he's got. He's well, he was listed. He was listed at 185, and I, you know, I don't know if he's uh, that. You know, how, however much he may have lost weight with his COVID issues in December. And even that, he that needs was, what MSU presents. Like he, he needs that sort of dog in him. You know that, that, and and that's what I think. You know, to embrace what MSU's program is. Like there are certain guys that you could say, well, he needs maybe. He, he can get in a place that's different than MSU. Well, he needs it exactly what MSU is. He needs a little more of that AJ Hogarth. You know, he needs that sort of mentality. Um, and I don't know. I, to me, it, it, it just it, it makes all the sense in the world for him to come back. And and I, I will be I, I will be surprised by his analysis of the situation if he does not. Yeah, and. You know, I've heard it's you know, talking to a couple sources, it's been it's it's been a fluid week or two um in in what may be the next steps, um, you know, if that NBA situation isn't where he wants to go. But it's been, you know, I, I've heard it's varied why varied wildly, uh, depending on the day. So I, I do think that you know, I, I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, the weight training and the facilities and, and really the, the, you know, what that staff has done. If you look at some of the guys that it's, I mean, just look at Gabe Brown, Gabe Brown between his junior and senior year, the amount of strength and muscle he put on was noticeable, particularly in his shoulders. I mean, his shoulders got hulking. Um, they, then you see what Tillman did and Draymond Green over the years, you know, the staff knows how to craft and mold a body, which I think is important for a guy, uh, the strength and conditioning staff. Um, what I think Christie needs uh, beyond the obvious with that, I, I think he needs a, a, a year or two, very much like miles bridges, where if you want to make that next step, you know, you, you like you said, you kind of need that dog in you. Uh, you need the alpha. You need to show the alpha, and that's something that I thought uh, my, when Miles Bridges came back for year two, he took on that leadership onus. He he went out of character, I think, in some ways to be the guy. Not that he wasn't. I mean, he came in with a good class with Winston and Langford. You know, pre-injury Langford and Nick Ward at that point. And people had him highest on the board, and he was the one who, if he was going to go into the draft, stood the best chance of leaving after year one and being a first-round pick. Um, but what he did in year two is what you're seeing right now in Miles Bridges, the NBA player, where all those things in being a leader and, and taking a team and taking the the onus of being the central and primary focus – uh, 
really helped him now at, at the next level being a second guy or a third guy because on any given night, you know, if you're in the NBA, you if you want to play regular minutes and not just be a 3 and D guy or something, you know, some specialty role, you got to show that. You got to show that you want, you know, 35, 40 minutes a game. And I think Christie needs that as much as anything else. And he played 30 minutes a game as a freshman. I mean, who who was a freshman that, that is who trusted that much to? Maybe yeah, Miles Bridges and Gary, Gary Harris are the two yep. that I can think of. Yep. And, you know, I think the other thing, too, though, is going to be the interesting side of how he scouted because the things that I saw from Max Christie this year, I don't think the coaching staff expected from Max Christie between how good he's been, he was on defense, but more importantly, I think the springiness that he had in his legs, the put-back dunks, the the explosiveness that he showed at times, you kind of sat there and watched it, and you hear this kid's you know, a great three-point shooter, which really didn't materialize this year. But to me, it was when he would attack, when he would crash, uh, when he would go in for rebounds, just his ability to get off the floor quickly and and elevate high was really a surprise. I, I think that that's something that, that scouts are going to look at those tapes. And, and, you know, when he goes through that evaluation process, you know, I've seen him go anywhere from, you know, mid late second round all the way up to 17, I think with Spurs. So, I mean, you know, once the eyeballs get on him, he may not, it may be more beneficial for him to leave. So well, I think that's another component. Be, I mean, Deontay Davis got three years, 6 million, right? Went top of the second round. You know, it's not about, uh, whether you can, it's and, and I and I don't believe he's the same as Davis, and I, mean, I believe yeah, a little different, a little different as a six five six six wing versus a you know six eleven seven foot kind of guy, and, and just different different kids, you know. I mean, I think there's a different level of right. basketball acumen, and and and, and so like I, I massive, I think a massive difference in level of that, right? So, so I mean, Chrissy's Chrissy's a smart kid. The, the the question is really what experience he wants this next year, uh, and. You know, that was one of the reasons, you know, I mean, uh, Miles Bridges, one of the things he talked to Izzo about is I don't want to step foot in the G League ever, you know, I like it. Um, right. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, it'd be interesting if, if Max Christie talks to Gary Harris, because Gary Harris is not one of these, um, you know, these new, uh, these these uh, Keegan Murray, A.J. Hogard, Hunter Dickinson sophomores that's turning 30 next year. Like, he's like a true... <laughs> He's like a true, you know, what the rest of us graduated high school at like 17, right? Came in, in the high school, came in the college at, at 18 right. years old. And and so, like, if you talk to Gary Harris, and Gary Harris was a, was a kid of, of normal age, too, who, um, you know, went to, you know, he, he came back, and his parents didn't think he was ready. And then when he spent his rookie year as a 20-year-old, he was miserable. And wishes he had, I, I don't think to this day he maybe wishes, but at the time oh. he, would, he wanted to be playing with Denzel Valentine and those guys. And, and so, oh, yeah. I mean, I remember seeing him around the locker room that year all the time. His first year in the NBA, he was in the, in the MSU locker room so often. He was somebody who talked to Miles Bridges, you know, and was it had an impact on that decision. And I, and I would be curious if he talks to Christie, who it just doesn't look ready for the, the grown man's circuit, so to speak. And, and maybe it is. And I think there is probably some frustration with Christie that he was asked to do a lot and, and that, that 
uh, you know, he, he, that being asked to do a lot on both ends created, uh, you know, maybe not the offensive output. That's the least the narrative that's out there. But the flip side is to get where you want to go, you now know what's going to be asked of you. Like, the MSU is not going to ask any more of him output-wise, guarding the other team's best player at times or best wing, you know, being a guy who's kind of – they're not going to ask a whole lot more of you minutes-wise or anything else that you gave this year. You know the level of strength you need to get to and consistency and what needs to be done. And this, I, and I think there's also – you know, I've heard people, you know, that that he'd like to see MSU's roster improve a little bit. Well, I mean – you know, and he sees the guys that are leaving, like like Bingham and and, um, uh, and Gabe Brown, and you know, it might. And I don't know how how true that is, but rosters turn over all the time. These guys aren't like two of the best seniors in the country. Your backcourt next year should be one of the best backcourts in the country and Big Ten. If it's AJ Hogard, uh, Jay Nakins, Tyson Walker, and you, that that sort of foursome, um, like. That, that that's not even counting Holloman. Well, yeah, and that, there's a freshman coming in, obviously, who get gets you know might get some minutes, and and Pierre Brooks could could could, could car, will probably carve out a role. So there's a lot of things, but I don't know what. And obviously, on the interior, they may need to add something, and 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 um, you know, it still sounds like Joey Hauser is yet to fully make a decision. For a while, it looked like he was done for sure. So who knows if he'll um, you know add another piece there? But like, I, I'm a little perplexed by i'm not perplexed by him testing the waters and if that's what this is and and he he comes back that that makes sense you should get the best evaluation of what you want to be as a professional basketball player and here's something offered to you where you can go for a uh you know a month or so and get that evaluation and then do the best you know that that makes total sense um and and so if he winds up back at msu or back in college like that 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 to me all this is smart i'm just it, it seems a little more 50-50-ish. Than, and, and you know what, though? If we go back to Aaron Henry the first time he left and Nick Ward the first time he left, I bet you there was some real doubt whether those guys were coming back. So maybe, maybe he will. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to add to that other than he should definitely come back. And at this point, he is a G League 3 and D guy is my uh, sort of sort of take about it at the, at the moment. Well, again, you got you got to shoot a little better than thirty one percent to be a three guy. Well, that's why I put him in the G League. Yeah, that's for a league for him to maybe improve his three point shooting, especially when the line gets longer. Yep, exactly. All right. Well, in the two weeks since we have last interviewed, uh, we've had a handful of Michigan State football press conferences as spring practice continues to march on and move forward. Uh, you've heard from Mel Tucker. You've heard from a number of players, including. Peyton Thorne, Spencer Brown, and uh, Malik Carr, and Keon Coleman today. There's probably a couple other names I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but uh, uh, from what you've uh, seen or heard of of Michigan State football spring practice, uh, you have any takeaways, Chris, on uh, what's kind of popping out for you here? You're settling into a little bit more of the norm that I think Mel Tucker's springs are going to be like. I, I don't necessarily know how much what we see now is going to really shake out in the fall. Remember, and I think one of the things that Harlan Barnett reminded us of today was how few defensive backs they had last year in spring practice. Um, and, you know, that group, I think they were, they were moving guys around and Emmanuel flowers was, was in there. And uh, a couple other guys that, you know, were getting torched by the, by the receivers that, you know, guys that, 
you know, walk-ons because they only had, I think, four cornerbacks or something along those lines. So I, I do think that, you know, there's a little, there's, there's more depth than, than was a year ago. I think the process of how to onboard transfers uh, is becoming a little more uh, smooth because they've gone through it. They, you know, I mean, that, what, what Tucker did a year ago in terms of bringing in transfers to, to kind of, you know, fill key roles. I think that that process now is part of their culture. Last year, this time, it was still an experiment. You know, that's gone by the wayside. And obviously we saw it, it had success. We talked to Chris Bogle today, uh, the Florida transfer from the defensive end. And, you know, we talked, you know, you talked to Chester Kimbrough, who transferred from Florida last year. So he's got a little bit of a feel of how things are done uh, before even stepping on campus in January, and then they can go through that process. So I think that's, I, I think that's the kind of takeaways that I'm getting. Because I mean, until we see this it, them in a game setting, you know, we don't know if they're going to even be in a game setting because right, this year's secondary depth issues is now on the offensive line, and they may not have enough offensive linemen healthy to to do a game and they may need to go through a lo- an extended practice like they did a year ago. So I, I think that to me though, it, it's seeing what Tucker was actualizing and, and or seeing what Tucker was basically trying to do and implement last year, being actualized this year, uh, having had a year of successes is it, pretty fascinating. Cause I think it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of people in college football that are watching what Michigan state's doing with using not just using the portal, but maximizing the use of the portal and getting guys to be contributors right away. I agree. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, yeah. Um, Graham, Graham's in full spring football mode now. <laughs> I'm, well, you know, it did help that Kansas won because nothing turns the page like a team that nobody cares about or <laughs> to read about or listen to winning the national title, um, turning the page to spring football. No, I, I'm, 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 I'm on board, but I, I'm with you. Like, there are lots of intriguing things that are happening. Um, you know, I mean, I think they've done a good job of getting some of the guys out front and center. And I, and I look at spring, you know, when I hear somebody say something in the spring, Keon Coleman, interesting today, Malik Carr, interesting today, Angelo Gross, interesting today. They're, you know, my new voices. My thought process is the things they say, that's a really good, interesting storyline to watch in August. We're five months out. I think it's all interesting now, but what there's no real, and this is always the problem with spring football is there's no, you know, and, and, and Mel Tucker will tell you this. It's the idea that, you know, you can't, there, there's no judgment day right ahead really. Right. And so uh, I, I am curious to see whatever sort of scrimmage or spring game exists and to see how certain guys look. And occasionally you get things that, 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 that are real there that are there that are, that are tangible and carry over. And I do think they've got a number of really intriguing positions um, where there's interesting depth. I think corner has become that. I think linebacker is, is, is that I think uh, receiver is that. And the, the, the pass catching targets, I'm looking forward to seeing them as a tight end when they have their full, that room, when they have their full complement of guys the, the kid from illinois when he's in and all that stuff but like i um but a lot of it is still just sort of it's like it's sort of like doing sports talk radio in july that's what spring football is you're talking about nfl quarterbacks having discussions that as if it's game week when it's just not and it's 
you know, like it's, it's, it's just, there is, um, it's all interesting to me. It's, it's just, it, it's, it's almost touch on it, file it away and, and come back to it because it, right now is, is, um, you know, it's, it, it, there's just only so much that, that can be, you can be certain about, but I do think there's, it, I, 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 they are in better shape than I thought they'd be when the season ended, not just with the Jaden Reed returning and all that stuff, but the transfers they brought, brought in the, the, I, I just, I think it's got a chance to be a really good roster, which it needs to be because it's a really tough schedule. And that's not just Ohio state early. That's a, a kind of a weird game, not a weird game, but a, a tougher than I, I think people expect game maybe against Minnesota at Spartan stadium in late September. There's, you know, there, there are there are elements of that schedule next year that I think are going to be very, very tricky, and they will need to be a good team to come, have a chance to just have anywhere close to the record they had last year. You know, what I would compare it to uh, right now, because I think it's an incomplete picture, and in a lot of ways so was last spring, um, because you had a lot of guys that came in you know, throughout the course of the summer, whether it be first summer session, second summer session, or all the way to fall camp, it's going to be the same thing this year. What I would liken it to is buying a fantasy baseball guide right now, because those things were printed in December and January before the lockout and before guys signed with teams. So in some ways that's, you know, you're wasting your money by buying a fantasy. I, I may have a fantasy baseball draft tonight. So um, that might be where that's coming from, but but that's but ultimately, I, you know, I sat there and I'm like, why am I going to buy a fantasy baseball guide right now? Because everything between what I know then and what's going to happen here in a couple of days with the season starting, everything's changed because guys are all over the place compared to them. So I think that's kind of in a lot of ways what the spring right now. Now, it's going to be interesting to see in the years moving forward how the spring is for Michigan State in terms of is there going to be this much movement where you're going to have years where, you know, spring ball is literally waiting on the guys to show up in the summer? I, I don't know. I, mean, I think, I think all that process will, will start to stabilize and normalize a little bit more across college sports, but it's, there's no question. I mean, you got Jarek Broussard, the running back who isn't coming in until after he graduates from Colorado this spring, you got, uh, you know, there's the, uh, Barker kid, the tight end um, from Illinois. He's not going to be there until later. And then you've got a, a number of impact, I, I think a couple of impact freshmen coming in, particularly Antonio Gates Jr., who isn't going to be there until the summer. So, you know, you've got like a Jeremy Bernard, who's an impact freshman enrolled now, uh, who, who, you know, is an interesting mix. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how this how he fits and what his talent level is because people have been raving about him, but you also are going to have more coming in. And I think in keeping that in mind, and this is the normal cycle of college football. Normally guys would leave after spring practice before the portal, before immediate eligibility guys would go through the the rest of the the semester after the season, you know, the winter session, spring practices, and then they wouldn't, the bulk of the guys would leave, at the end of April, early May, um, I think all that we've seen is just a breakup and you know staggering of that, along with you know some acceleration of guys making those decisions in December because they want to get enrolled and get to their new home sooner. So, you know, it's not different necessarily, but I am going to be curious to see if this 
staggered nature of of how guys arrive, if that's going to be more of a norm. Um, because right now, what we see uh, on April 16th, uh, I think is probably only going to be maybe about two-thirds complete picture, if that. All right, well, I think that's kind of a good place here to uh, to leave things off. Uh, we'll be back next week where we will do an entire football-themed episode unless some some crazy basketball news happens over the next seven days, which is, is, is certainly on the table. And uh, for for the podcast, we will be doing a, a listener question-themed episode. So if everyone wants to send in their questions, they can uh, add us on Twitter, or uh, and I'll put out a call maybe a day or two before we record next week's podcast so people can ask their spring football-related questions. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off this week, guys? I mean, we didn't really even talk about the championship game, the, yeah. UN, or the UNC and Kansas game, or even Krzyzewski losing to North Carolina again to get bounced out. I will say this, though. I, I really enjoyed watching that championship game, but it was good theater and mediocre basketball, I thought. Yeah, it's it, one of those things where, like, once it felt Kansas like a glorified wins. AAU game. Well, well, once Kansas wins, like it's it's really fascinating because Kansas basketball has a lot of interest. I'm sure their writers know that and the places that cover them. But nationally, find me somebody who didn't have money on Kansas who, who wanted Kansas to win. I can't imagine it's out there. Like North Carolina had strangely turned themselves into this like blue blood blue blood underdog Cinderella that's sort of bizarre bizarre thing and once kansas won like if i was if i was an editor of a national publication i would have just told my writer to get a good night's sleep uh jump on the uh, jump on the plane and do his way too early top 25 because yeah, I, 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 I think that's that's your location bias i think i think I there, can't imagine. You, you go out through the rest of the midwest you know south and and west of here i, I there's just like you go south and east of here there's a lot more interest with the North Carolina, and I think well, I'm talking about if North Carolina, won, I'd been all, I would have been all in it. I'm just saying Kansas winning took all any interest I had in reading a single article or watching a single post game interview out. I just, I, I just, I, I did. There's just not a team that a program that's like has charm to them that that is that is fun to to, to read about, and I, I can't imagine I'm alone in feeling that way. So, so you missed out on Mark Emmert dishing out his punishment. Well, I did see that uh, punishment. I, I mean, he, he called them the Kansas City Jayhawks, which is maybe about the harshest punishment that it seems like is going to happen to them. Yeah, I, I did. I did see that. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.